0: Sit comfortably, everyone. I want to say a few words tonight about um, what is known in the in contemporary literature, literature as um, moral suffering. And um, Joan Halifax, the American teacher, makes reference to moral suffering, but she's referencing it actually from concepts and terms and training they do, uh, particularly in in uh, for, for nurses working in um, hospitals or people working in, in care institutions. But it could really apply to all of us. And so some of the concepts around um, moral suffering, um, which are interesting to, to identify the particular variations in which this can occur... Um, One is um, moral distress, and moral distress is something that's been recognised now as a psychological phenomena where people can feel um, things like feeling ethically compromised in the institutions that they might work in when they see unethical things occurring, and they're part of it and they're powerless to actually do anything about it or they witness it. and um, that can create create a lot of um, distress uh, for people in their lives to actually be exposed to. And when it's worst, you know, when it's actually um, not just an immediate stress, but something that leaves a, um, I suppose, an emotional scar on someone. It's referred to as a as a um, a moral injury. Another form that moral suffering can take well, although some people mightn't think it's suffering, but actually giving suffering to others, depends how we use it, is that we can also experience moral outrage. So there's moral distress and there's moral outrage. And moral outrage is what we can often experience where, when we read the news and we see things in the paper and we about the way institutions operate or individuals or governments and and they seem to be clearly um, working in ways which are quite unethical. And uh, and it also takes the form of um, racism, sexism, things like that. Um, And we can be be morally outraged um, by seeing unethical um, things occur in the world and it creates a distress for us as well. The thing with moral outrage is that... Um, this is where Dharma practice really comes in as a, as a guide. There's, there's nothing wrong with moral outrage in itself. It's something... It's like a gap, gut reaction that tells us that something's not right here, you know, um, like something's un, unwholesome that's occurring. So it's a kind of a gut reaction. And it depends, really... Not the fact that we get morally outraged, but what do we do with that energy when we see it? And as you know, on social media and so on, there's a whole kind of destructive element occurs where people are expressing moral outrage in a self-righteous kind of way to call people out and to shame them. You know, which is... um, Is that ethical? You know, it brings that into question. But the third element in which moral suffering can occur is what could be referred to as moral apathy. So there's the three of them. There's moral distress, there's moral outrage, and there's moral apathy. And moral apathy occurs when we've just, we just simply shut down and numbed out to seeing the suffering in the world or to see the suffering that occurs to to, um, other people, other animals, other wildlife, any kind of suffering that occurs in the world. Um, sometimes it can be just so overwhelming for people that they shut down. Sometimes moral apathy is there because we're all just, um, to some degree, self-absorbed in our own immediate self-interest and we don't see beyond it. I think also one of the, um, the uh, what, what creates moral apathy is um, a sense of privilege, you know, and that we we just feel that we we are entitled to what we have, and uh, living in a kind of a god realm, just feel a sense of smug entitlement to what we have and privilege and take it for granted, um, and don't recognise that other people perhaps have uh, had the opportunities or privileges that we have had or resources in life to do well, <clears throat> so. There are all the ways that this can manifest. And so it leads on to the next question as to how practice can move towards um, moral resilience. That's the word they use in the the workplace. There's various ways in which practice focuses on this. Um, One of the things is, if if you do regularly do meditation practice and the research bears this out, Um, is that you increase your distress tolerance. Mm -hmm. Um, How it happens, I'm not quite sure, but but it does. And maybe it works because when you're willing to just be with your own suffering and recognise your own suffering at a bodily and mental state and you're just being able to witness it non-judgmentally, come back to it and actually create a sense of equanimity around it, you actually increase your distress tolerance to yourself, right? And if you can increase your distress tolerance to your own experience, then you have a way of extending it to others. And so meditation in itself um, is a way of building resilience. We, we It's quite common knowledge in the, the psychological field as well as the Dharma field that that occurs. I suppose where it can, can play out in the workplace too um, is not so easily or readily or in a knee-jerk way falling into victimism. You know, that you you immediately think that you're a victim of being on the the, uh, receiving end of something without any kind of agency to do anything about it. I'll give you an an example from a a friend of mine from some time ago who um, this person felt that their boss was bullying them. And other people in the organisation think, yeah, he's got to be reported and you know, we've got to do something about this. My friend said, that's not in my value system to do that. And what this person did was they developed their own assertiveness skills and started relating to the boss with assertiveness and actually ended up developing a good relationship, a good functional relationship with the boss. So sometimes people have to go to an outside source if they're being bullied but it's also worthwhile just considering whether there's something within your own agency that you can develop to actually to actually deal with that one of the ways practice helps us as well is that when you're witnessing what might trigger moral distress or moral outrage um is to come back to the body you first step is what's happening in my body right now when i'm witnessing or experiencing this this unpleasant experience so that you gauge it with that and then you watch all of the different thoughts and emotions that that arise out of that and you don't jump to conclusions and you don't attach to anything you just watch it it's just just my opinions arising and falling away And it's that sense of being with the body, being in that place of don't know mind, um, that has a chance to just assess the situation before you actually respond to it in any way. And they're the principles of the um, Zen Peacemakers uh, Association, or whatever it's called in the States, that Bernie Glassman founded, uh, which is not knowing, Bearing witness, compassionate action. They're they're good guides in terms of dealing with um, moral distress uh, when we're we're experiencing it or witnessing it. The other aspect of practice which bears on this as well is also the practice of the precepts so that you become much clearer about your own moral relationship with life, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to summarise them here. Do you know, it's about it's about not harming, but being supportive. It's about not cheating, stealing, lying, but being honest and generous. Do you know, it's about creating harmony with your surroundings rather than creating division. And it's around not being self-indulgent. <clears throat> and if you if you commit to to embodying that and establishing it in your own life that as well gives you a sense of empowerment and to use a a common cliche it is a moral compass you know to have those precepts now let's look at what moral compass actually means as a metaphor a compass is a is a means to take you to somewhere right A, a way of finding where you are it's not necessarily telling you what the destination is right? It's, it's giving you a skill to travel on the journey to somewhere. One of the things that's mistaken about Buddhism is that it's, that it's associated with particular moral positions in the world, like it's, it's um, against abortion or it's pro-euthanasia, or it's anti-euthanasia or it's this or that, right? Or it's vegetarianism or what. It's not really like that. It's really Giving you the skills about how you approach moral issues in your life, where you're minimising harm and you're, you know, harmonising and not being self-indulgent. Where that takes you in terms of what's appropriate in your life is your business, right? But these are the the skills or the guidelines. The guidelines, they're not um, absolutes. And um, as Diane Rossetto said in her... Waking up to what you are, which is a modern version of the precepts, they're there to be used with common sense. They're there to be used with compassion and with with wisdom and intelligence for them to be adapted into your life. But it's very important to to also to be clearer about that that moral compass. You know that helps you deal with these issues. So. Um, this is a, a new term which is coming into the into the workforce. It doesn't just refer to people in the, the care sector but to everyone. and um, as uh, Joan Halifax transferred this into one of her books in terms of dealing with political activism and just life in general is a, is a good and interesting focus for us as Zen students to um, To consider this is one of the the forms of suffering in the world that we can experience and, um, and how we can deal with it.